Alright, so welcome to Close to the Bones. Again, this is Casey Pearson. I am a traditional midwife in Cedar City, Utah. And a big part of what this podcast is going to be about is working through the hard topics that people don't really want to talk about. And that's going to include the topics of birth and death. And both of those are right at the edge of life. Birth is like the ultimate living it's everyone has been born and then you get to live your life and it's this big transcendent experience and it doesn't just have to do with when you are physically born it's also about how in our life we're born over and over again depending on experiences that we have and things like that and then we're also going to be talking about death and death is a scary thing there are so many people that have never experienced death in their life they've never lost someone that's close to them they've like they have all their grandparents they have all their aunts and uncles they have their parents they have their siblings And it's a scary topic to think about, especially when you consider that death is an end, even though it's really not. Life is too cyclical for death to be an end. And I am just really excited to talk about these hard topics and to go into this with the fresh eyes of someone that just really wants to put it out there um, of what life is like. And this first episode is just going to be a bit of my history and why this is so important to me. Alright, so this story is not um, for the faint of heart. Um, This is my history and why birth and death and everything else is so close to my soul. So it starts out with my oldest child. She just turned 12. And it kind of almost starts before then. Like, my family never shied away from the hard topics. Like, I knew um, what happened with my mom's births. I knew what happened with my grandma's births. I knew about breastfeeding. Um, My grandpas both died when I was younger. Um, I've had quite a few of my aunts and uncles die. Like, things like this. Like, I... I'm not a stranger to loss and transition and um, things like that. And so going into my own pregnancy journey, that was new territory, but not necessarily new. I thought that, you know, life works, bodies work, and things would just work. My... Mom um, had a an obstetrician where I currently live for me when I was born. And I figure, well, you know, everything worked out with me. So why not just go back to that same one that um, delivered me? And I called the office and he had retired just a few months before I was pregnant and calling for an appointment. So... Um, his office, well, his old office was transferred to the certified nurse midwife at the hospital. So I called them and I got an appointment to come in and, um, they were going to see me at eight weeks just to run initial stuff and things like that. And we went into the hospital 
for our appointment, I remember that it snowed and, and it wasn't just like a regular snow. It was a crazy snow. And we had a four wheel drive pathfinder and the nurse midwife was late. And so we had to wait about 40 minutes for her to get to the office because the snow was so bad. And, and, uh, she wasn't able to get in as early as she wanted to. So once we finally got in, we talked to her for a bit. She asked if I had thought about my birth plan, um, anything like that. And I knew I wanted to have a natural birth. I knew I could do it. It wasn't that big a deal. And she was cool with it. So we ran all the regular tests and everything. Came back. I had a UTI, which pretty sure I didn't have a UTI, um, it was more just dehydration and sickness and everything else. But um, I was put on an antibiotic and we made an appointment to come back in a month. And that pregnancy was pretty low key. Um, I had high premises, so I threw up a lot. <laughs> um, I had a hard time eating. I had a hard time staying hydrated. Um, like lots of just issues around that. I was working full time. And I was going to school for t- full time, and I was throwing up full time. So it, there were lots of things that were happening in this pregnancy, and but I I felt good. Like I was exhausted at the end. Like more than just exhausted, I definitely had some iron issues. And I, looking back now, I definitely did not expand my blood volume. Um, there were lots of other issues and things like that. But for the most part, um, the pregnancy was pretty uneventful. I had my first ultrasound at 20 weeks and they measured everything and they said that I was, or she was measuring 10 days behind what our due date was, but because it was less than two weeks, the nurse midwife didn't change my due date in all the books and everything. And my records And we kind of just kept on going. Um, She'd always measured two weeks behind. So like a consistent two weeks behind. And there was a lot of like small things that happened in that pregnancy. Like little snide comments that the nurse midwife would say to me about how, well, I just wasn't trying hard enough to eat. And like things like that. That I was hurting my baby. I was spilling ketones in my urine. And like lots of like... Just little remarks that I wasn't trying hard enough. And for the most part, it didn't really get to me. I kind of just like let it roll off. I knew my body was doing fine. Even though now I'm like, oh, that's so crazy. But everything was good. Um, at 34 weeks, we flew to Virginia for my father's retirement from the Navy. And we were gone for about a week and a half. We came back and I was 35 and a half weeks And I went to my regular appointment and she's like, all right, so your baby's head down and starts talking about all this stuff. And then she looks at the chart and she goes, oh, wait, I've never actually checked to see if your baby was head down. And I was like, okay, having no idea what she was even talking about. And she measured my belly, which again, two centimeters small. Um, So I was only measuring 33 weeks instead of 35. And she's feeling around and she's like wait your baby's not head down um pretty sure your baby's breech but to confirm that I've got to send you for an ultrasound 
So we had our second ultrasound of the pregnancy at 35 weeks. And, um, like right after the ultrasound, she called me and said, yep, your baby's Frank breach, which means her bum was in my pelvis and her feet were up by her head. Um, we didn't find out the sex of the baby, but I, in hindsight, now I call her she because I know, you know, she's a girl, she's a girl. And so the other thing that was an issue is, um, my fluid, amniotic fluid was low. And so she starts to freak out that the baby is breech because there's a genetic abnormality that was missed, um, which is why there's low fluid. And she puts me on bed rest and schedules another ultrasound for two days from then to see how things are going. So I went into work and like put in a leave of absence, going on bed rest, all of this nonsense and, um, had the ultrasound two days later and her fluid levels were fine. She was still Frank breach, like all of these other things, but they never really let go of that. The idea that the fluid was low and there's something wrong. So because she was Frank breach, um, we met with the midwife and she is not allowed to deliver breech babies. And so my care was automatically transferred to an OB after she told me that I had another option of driving three and a half hours to the only hospital in the state of Utah that would do a breech vaginal delivery. And there was no way I was going to be able to drive three hours either in labor or figure out a way to live somewhere for a few weeks while I went into labor. It just was not feasible for me. So we made an appointment with the obstetrician that she transferred our care to. And he gave us a couple options. He said that we can wait and have just a C-section at 39 weeks. Um, we can schedule an external cephalic version where they manually turn the baby from breech to head down at 37 weeks. And if it works, great. They'll send me home. If it doesn't, they can try again at 39 weeks, though it has less of a chance of working. Or again, just have that C-section. So we chose to try the version um, thinking, okay, well, he made it sound so easy. He didn't tell us the risks of anything. He didn't give me other options. Um, the nurse midwife gave me a paper talking about inversions to do on an ironing board off my couch. But they didn't tell me about chiropractic care. They didn't tell me that the Webster technique has a pretty high rate of turning a breech baby that is able to turn. They didn't tell me about acupuncture. They didn't explain why some babies are breached. They didn't try to look for a cause. They didn't really do anything. And the OB was just kind of like, all right, you're going to do this and this and this, and we're going to turn your baby. And if we don't, then don't worry. A C-section is normal. Your mom had one. So, you know, it's not that bad. And so I didn't really think much of it. Um, in the span of this time, so we were just under 36 weeks at this point. And in the span of the next week before our version, I had, let's see, five more ultrasounds and non-stress tests and biophysical profiles. 
Like they were so worried something was wrong because of that one low fluid that they monitored me very closely and made sure the baby was fine. And all of it was very unnecessary looking back. But, you know, when you're scared of breach and all that can happen and you're trusting all of these tests, then you order more tests. So I remember the night before we went in for the version, I was telling my husband, I was, I said, man, tomorrow we may need our baby. Like I wasn't nervous about the version. I wasn't nervous about having a C-section. I wasn't nervous about her measuring small. Like I was just kind of excited. Like, Hey, if this works and it puts me into labor, which it might, we may have our baby tomorrow. And I didn't think that anything was wrong with those thoughts. I was just excited. So we were scheduled to be at the hospital at 5 a.m. when I was 37 weeks and one day pregnant by my last menstrual period. And we got up, got to the hospital. I hadn't eaten because you can't eat because there's a risk that I was supposed to be, I may have surgery. So um, I'm hungry, tired. (laughs) I am not a morning person to begin with and getting up at 5 a.m. is not fun for me. So we get to the hospital and I go into labor and delivery and they have no record of us supposed to be there. Like I'm upset at this point. Like really we are supposed to be here two hours early for a version that's happening at 7 a.m. because you needed time to get me ready and no one knows we were coming. Like just annoyed. So they finally figured it all out. Um, They got the anesthesiologist to come down and start my epidural. And I did not like getting an epidural. Like the idea of sitting still is ridiculous while someone's poking at your spine. And I'm really glad I wasn't in labor when that was happening. I'm not sure how people do that at all. Um, Major, major props to all of you. So... I get my epidural, um, they put in my IV, I am started on fluids, I'm started on medication to calm my uterus and to calm me. Um, during the version, my uterus cannot be like contracting or anything else, so this medication is kind of important. Um, I can't feel my legs. <laughs> And right about that time is when the nurse midwife and the new OB came in and they brought a portable ultrasound machine and the OB starts doing the ultrasound to see what position the baby is in, where the cord is, what's going on, because if they don't know where any of that is, then there's a risk that they pinch the cord and then I need to go to emergency surgery or my water breaks and the cord prolapses or like so many other things happen. So they figure out um, the best plan to move my baby and um, her head is in my left rib and so they're like well since it's already there we'll just keep going bringing her head down on the left side. So I'm laying flat on my back and it's hard to breathe when you're pregnant and flat on your back plus they start pushing on me making it even harder to breathe. And they get her about halfway turned and one of them loses their grip. And so she goes right back to her position. 
they are a little bit upset about it. So like, oh, we were so close and like, hey, we've really got to put our vibe into it this time. So they uh, both grab in and it's so quiet and all you can hear is like, they're really heavy breathing, like they're working really hard. And I can't breathe well because they're putting so much pressure on me. And there's no pain because I have an epidural. But all that pressure is just a lot. And I'm breathing and trying to be calm. And finally they release. They get the ultrasound and they check. And she's head down. Um, the cord isn't in the way. But I had to stay attached to monitors for a few hours. Because if something did happen, they would want to know pretty quickly. And I'm numb, so where am I going to go? Um, my husband, it, it's about 7.30 in the morning at this time, and my husband and I are tired, so he sprawls out on, like, the pull-out couch thing that they have in the room, and I kind of fall asleep on the hospital bed. And a few hours later, I wake up because my legs are spasming, and I still can't feel them, and it causes a panic, uh, causes a panic attack. And I can't breathe and I'm freaking out and I'm feeling out of my body. And there are just so many things that happened at that time. And my husband couldn't calm me down. So a nurse came in and she was able to get me to calm down and breathe. And um, then she looked down and noticed that the bed was soaking wet. And so they all start worrying that my water broke, which is one of the risks of aversion Um and so they start running tests, they do a vaginal exam, they do all sorts of other things. And then they realize, oh, no, that's just pee because we didn't give her a catheter. So I have an epidural, so I cannot move, can't feel anything, and no catheter. So um, at this point, it's starting to wear off slowly. Like, I can feel my toes, um, but... The epidural is definitely like a long lasting one what they gave me. So it's just taking time. Um, and around this point, it's about noon now after they like freak out about everything. And um, I can feel most of my legs at this point And we're kind of anxious to go home since she's head down and everything was fine. And then the nurses come in. And then the nurse midwife comes in and then the OB comes in and they're checking out her heart strip and they're talking to me and they're talking to each other and they check out her heart strip again. And all while this is happening, I'm not really sure what's going on. So they're not really telling me. And finally they're like, you know, her heart's just not doing so great. You are having contractions, um, but they're not dilating. They're not long. They're not strong, but she is just not handling it very well. So I'm like, okay, so what does that even mean? And they're like, oh, we're just going to watch you for a little longer. Like, it could be nothing. It could just be, like, the epidural wearing off or your uterus coming off a vacation or things like that. So they all leave and I'm left alone with my baby's heart rate that keeps dropping with these tiny little contractions that I can't even feel. And um, as the epidural wears off, I realize I have to pee. <laughs> They didn't put a catheter back in because they're like, oh, she, her epidural is going to wear off. And the next time she needs to pee, she'll be able to do it herself. So at around 1.15, I push the call button. I'm like, hey, I really have to pee. 
And they're like, all right, well, let's, let's get you up to the bathroom and you can do that. So as they're getting me up, they notice that her heart rate's getting worse. And so they lay me back down on the bed. They give me oxygen. And over the course of the next 20 or so minutes, they are talking about what they're going to do. Um, they finally all decide that, all right, so it's time to take you for a C-section. And I tell my husband to call our parents um, to tell them that the baby's being born. And, of course, by this point, the, I have no epidural. Like, I still have the tubes and stuff into my um, spine and things like that, but I'm not numb at all. So they have to re-give me the medication. Well, I'm a redhead, so we have issues with medication anyway. And my body did not want to respond to the second epidural dose. So he ended up having to give me three times the normal dose of an epidural. Um, and then he was also worried about me having a heart attack because he gave me so much medication. But they also didn't want me to feel the surgery. So right as they started is when the epidural took effect. So my husband's like, can't you feel that? Because I had just felt the pinpricks like a few minutes earlier. And the anesthesiologist is like, if she could feel it, she would be screaming and off the table. So apparently they had started. Um, and they, there was a lot of pressure again. Um, I heard a vacuum. I smelled burning flesh. Um, lots and lots of pressure. Like I thought the version was a lot of pressure, but the C-section was way more. And like I could feel my body moving around on the table, but I couldn't feel my body. So that was a fun experience as well. Um, my husband is holding my hand, but he's standing up and looking over the curtain, watching all that they're doing. And all of a sudden he's like, our baby's here. And I was like, really? He says, oh, it's a girl. And I was like, oh my goodness. And it's completely silent in the room. No one's talking. There's no cry. There's nothing. So I'm starting to freak out a little bit because my baby is not crying and they're supposed to cry. Right. Um, so he's watching and I'm take the baby over and I'm just waiting to hear her cry. And about a couple minutes later, she lets out these really two soft cries and then they knocked me out. I remember nothing after this. Like I remember blackness. Um, I remember waking up and recovery and thinking I should ask how my baby is, but I just could not find words. I couldn't form them. Um, I had no idea how to use pretty much any of my body. And then I fell asleep again. So um, I woke up a couple hours later in my postpartum room and asked my husband, where's our baby? Um, and the nurse came in and she's like, has no one talked to you? No, no one has talked to me. Um, and so she's like, your baby's okay. She just can't really breathe very well. So she's in the nursery. Um, she will probably be moved up to our level two NICU uh, because she's just really having a hard time breathing. But I'll get you a picture of her. So um, about an hour later, she comes in with this really crappy Polaroid picture of my baby. Uh, that I can see and she's hooked up to so many wires and she's so bruised and honestly she's so blurry that I can't even like see that it's my baby could just be a generic picture that they give everyone for all I knew and I couldn't get up because <laughs> yet again still numb from an epidural 
and it didn't matter anyway because they are a lower level NICU. They don't have the support for you to hold your baby if they are struggling with certain things. And so I wouldn't have been able to hold her anyway or go to her. So it took quite a few hours that day. She was eight hours old when I met her for the first time. And she's lying on like the giraffe table, I guess you could say, um, like the warmer and everything on oxygen. She's having a really hard time. She's beet red because she can't breathe. She's bruised in quite a few places and she's so small. She's five pounds, 13 ounces and just tiny. Um, I held her hand and I talked to her, but I wasn't really able to do much beyond that because I wasn't able to hold her. And I only was able to be with her for about 45 minutes before I had to go back to my room because, you know, hospital rules. So that is how I met my baby. And that still sucks. (laughs) 12 years later, that still sucks. And when she was one day old, so she was a little over 24 hours old, I was able to hold her for the first time. And it didn't feel like I thought it would feel. I didn't really feel anything. Um, They had to help put her into my arms. I was not responsible for anything at all. And I don't know, I just kind of felt like I was there. They, it was their baby. It wasn't my baby. Um, All of our family came down and everyone's meeting the baby through the window and she's on oxygen and she's still not doing great. And they have to keep increasing her oxygen level because she's just not handling like any of the breathing aspect. Uh, Everybody kind of goes home um, except my mother-in-law. They came up from California and so going home would kind of defeat the purpose of things. So she sticks around. Um, like tries to tell our church that we had the baby, like all sorts of different things that are happening. Um, she was born on a Wednesday and Friday early evening, the uh, nurse came in with the pediatrician and they talked about how the level two NICU that we have is at their maximum oxygen level that they can give to her. And if she stays on that without issue, then she can stay. Otherwise, she needs to be transferred. So I start, like, preparing for this transfer. I just knew it was going to happen. And um, I start preparing for her to be transferred an hour away, setting up a room in a hospital because, like, knowing that it's just going to happen. Um... The pediatrician came back in an hour later and said that, yes, she is being transferred and the life flight team is on their way. So you want to get things ready. And the OB came in and he's like, all right, so technically you aren't being released until tomorrow, but we can release you early so that you can be with your baby. Um, We went down to the NICU in the hospital we were currently at um, right as the life flight team got there and I remember them poking her heels like she had been poked so many times for blood gases, for jaundice, for 
I don't even know what all tests they ran on her, but I remember them poking it so much that they couldn't find a spot on her heel that had, that didn't have a scab. And I could not stay and watch that happen. Like I could not stay in the room and watch my baby be hurt again. So I left, I went back to my room, I packed, I called the hospital an hour away. I set up a room for us. I made sure they knew we were coming. I called family and told them what was happening. Um, and when she was put into the helicopter, we left the hospital and my mother-in-law drove us an the hour away to the new hospital because I couldn't drive and my husband couldn't drive. Um, he was pretty emotional about the whole thing and I was two days out from a C-section, so we needed some help. And we get to the hospital an hour away, and she'd been there for a little while. And it's 3,000 feet lower than where we live. And so um, just that drop in elevation, she could breathe. Like, she was still on a pretty high level of oxygen, but she wasn't working as hard. She wasn't as red. She just, she looked like she was resting rather than struggling. And... They had a chair for me and they explained a whole bunch of things. And I remember like the one thing he said, the um, neonatologist came in when we got there and he's like, there's one thing that we may have to do with her. Like she doesn't need a CPAP right now and she's doing pretty great on just the nose cannula. But if we do have to keep increasing her oxygen, then we're going to have to help her with her surfactant to help her lungs work. Um, and like... I kind of zone out at this point. I don't remember much of that night beyond that. I'm exhausted. I'm in pain. Um, my milk is starting to come in. And so there are just so many things happening all at once. Plus, you know, my baby had to go on a helicopter at two days old. Like, it's just surreal. All right. So the rest of this is kind of a blur. Like... I remember bits and pieces of her NICU stay, but I don't remember much. I remember not wanting to be there. I remember struggling with not being able to do things for my baby that are normal. A baby sat my entire life. I know how to handle diapers and temperatures and crying and all sorts of other things, but I didn't know how to handle a baby with a feeding tube. I didn't know how to handle a baby on oxygen. I didn't understand why we had to measure her diapers. I didn't understand why I couldn't breastfeed her. And those are things that made it so I could not physically be in the hospital for very long. Um, we spent a lot of time like going aimlessly shopping like we didn't have a lot of money at the time but I could not be in the hospital and so I remember one time we went to Kmart and it she was born middle of July and so it's right by back to school time and I remember I remember buying 30 notebooks because they were only 10 cents each and I was like thrilled with this and like I don't remember what my baby was doing at that time, but I remember going and buying notebooks because they were on sale. And um, my mother-in-law 
was great and she hung out with my baby whenever I wasn't there. She held her more in the hospital than I did. Um, especially leading up to when we actually were able to nurse. So she was uh, born on Wednesday and on Sunday we were finally given the option to breastfeed because they had slowly been growing her stomach um, with milk that I had pumped. So she only ever received breast milk. She never had any formula and I, that's a win for me anyway. Um, but uh, when we finally were able to breastfeed, she didn't really care because she still had a feeding tube. And if you're getting food there, why should you even try to eat orally? And like, it was discouraging. My baby wasn't hungry. She didn't cry to eat because she didn't have to. So that was a whole other situation. Um, the next day her bilirubin levels were very high. Um, they were at 19 and they were worried that they were going to have to give her a transfusion. And a big reason that her levels were so high is because she didn't eat for four days. Like her body needed food to be able to break down the red blood cells, but she had only had an IV of saline. So like, it's hard to do that if this is happening. And so they had her under the lights all day and it makes babies tired. And so she really wasn't interested in eating. And that was just another setback. Like I hated pumping. Like it was wonderful that my supply was out of this world. Um, I had so much milk in the fridge that they had to give me another shelf. Um, and I'd only been there for three days. So it was kind of awesome that, hey, my body knows how to do this at least. But it was frustrating that I couldn't just feed my baby. Well, and her belly ribbon levels started to fall. Um, that Monday evening they checked and it was down to 16. So they just gave her, they um, put her with a blanket instead of underneath the lights. And so we could hold her while she was... Um, getting her light therapy and it was around this time that she got really angry and pulled out her feeding tube <laughs> and I think that's still like one of my favorite memories is she just grabbed it and yanked it and pulled it out and at that point like we were all in for breastfeeding like she took to it naturally she would drain my breasts in five minutes and I'd say like she would do that like it's incredible because I was making a ton of milk um and Wednesday morning so Tuesday we were like we had to figure out breastfeeding for sure and um like all of the things that come along with that but Thursday or Wednesday sorry so she was a week old um they came in and they're like hey you can go home and we're like wait what and my husband ugh had been trying to go to work every day since she was born because he didn't really get, he didn't get paid time off and all sorts of other things. But every time they would, they would tell us something else. So he would have to come back. Well, this time he was back home. So an hour away and I called him right as he was about to go to work. And I'm like, Hey, they're saying we can come home. So he had to drive back down, um, 
bringing the car seat and everything else because there's still a ton of tests that had to be run before they could actually discharge her. Like she had to do the car seat test. She had to sit in there for an hour and a half without her heartbeat dropping. And, um, like we had to wait for the people to drop off the oxygen tanks because we had to come home with oxygen and like so many other things that we had to wait for. Um, she hadn't done her hearing test. Uh, we hadn't watched any of the videos that they require you watching before we leave the hospital. Like it all happened so quickly that we weren't prepared for it. So it took quite a few hours for us to be able to leave. Um, when we finally did, we, she was on a monitor, um, an apnea monitor in her car seat in the truck. And, um, she was on oxygen. They were worried that the elevation change going up would make her struggle to breathe again. So she was on a nasal cannula and on this monitor and we drove home and everything was fine. And my parents met us when we were, when we got home and got to hold their grandbaby, um, like first grandbaby on both sides. Uh, so that was an exciting thing. Um, but she was on oxygen and it still was just hard for me. Like how in the world am I supposed to care for a baby on oxygen? And we had a crib set up. My dad set up the crib while we were in, um, the NICU and, uh, kind of just went for it. But there were so many things that happened in her early life that all stem from the fact for me that I didn't trust myself to be her parent because I wasn't her parent that first week of her life. Um, and then when we came home, they kind of just dropped me into this role of, well, your baby was sick and now she's not and you're welcome and enjoy. But I couldn't enjoy it because I had no idea what I was doing. So the first six months of her life were a blur. Um, a lot of breastfeeding, a lot of crying, a lot of frustration, a lot of pain physically for me. Um... It took me a while before I could walk a long distance without feeling like my insides were shredding. And it took me a while to bond with my baby. And to this day, that is still one of the things that I hate. I hate that I wasn't able to bond with my baby because our experience was ripped from us. Um, Twelve years later, I don't I wish that things had happened differently, but I know that if they had, I wouldn't be where I am now. So it's hard to actually wish things were different. Um, and it's hard to know that those hard experiences are there for a reason, um, even when you hate them. And that's kind of how our entire story started, is this hard experience that I wouldn't trade now looking back because it started my journey to something incredible, but also knowing we missed so much time. We missed so much love simply because the way she was born, um, the way that I felt when she was born, the way the hospital cared for her, the way that 
I couldn't care for her the way that all of my instincts were told that it was wrong. Like, so many aspects of that hurt our relationship. And I wish that could be changed. And so much of that I wish could be changed. And I understand that it can't. And knowing that those experiences can't be changed is kind of just this hard place to be. And I am so grateful that her and I have the relationship that we do now and we could talk about her birth and what it did and she can talk about things and and like her birth made me the parent that I am and I will never regret that. Not that I really regret her birth either, but it's one of the hard things that people need to talk about how birth can destroy a relationship that hasn't even started yet and I was going to talk more about my history in this podcast but um, her story ended up being a lot longer telling than I thought and we're only to like her being about six months old so um, like it's kind of incredible to me how intense life can be sometimes and I want to thank you guys for listening to this one podcast and if you want to reach out to me um, I am Moon Tree Midwifery on Facebook that's my website MoonTreeMidwifery.com my email MoonTreeMidwifery at gmail.com um, Instagram MoonTreeMidwifery like pretty much you can find me at that um, I'd love to hear from any of you like I'm kind of excited to be doing this and next time I'll talk I'll uh continue my story and see where that takes us so thanks so much for listening